0: Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to study your word and help us to see what you'd have us to see through this warning to the, against false prophets and that you will lead us in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 13, starting at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say you unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, hear you the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. You have, you have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord said, and the Lord has not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word." Have you not seen a vain vision, and have you not spoken a lying divination? Whereas you say, the Lord said it, albeit I have not spoken. All right, so Ezekiel is told to speak against false prophets. And this is going to be an interesting chapter as we look at him speaking against these people, because number one, he is the minority, speaking against the majority. The majority of the people are telling the people, Oh, you're going to stay in the land. God's not going to judge. Just as we talked about before, they're going, Oh, we've heard these warnings forever. They're they're not going to happen in our day. Uh, And and this is, uh, Ezekiel faced this. Jeremiah faced this. If If you read the whole thing, the people are at this time prophesying that God is going to take them into captivity. And all the false prophets are saying, Oh, no, they're not right. One of the things we have to be very careful of, even as Christians in our day and age is, we are in the minority speaking out for God nowadays. And the world speaks very vocally against everything that God speaks about. And it's been changing. I mean, it's always been been that way to a degree, but our country especially, basically, though I won't necessarily say everybody was Christian, they had Christian morals for the most part and listened listened to God. And over these last several decades, almost a century, We've been drifting further and further away from God, and the voice of Christianity is a minority and draws a lot of ire against us. You know, people get mad. They get angry. We, we hear everything about, well, you guys are just so, in, so unloving. You're intolerant. You don't, you don't care about these. You've got to evolve and get along, you know, come along with where everybody's gone, come to. And we, if, as strong Christians, we say, no, we're going to stand for God. This is the same exact thing that Ezekiel's facing. He's preaching what God says, and he's having it thrown back in his face. Well, you know, who are you to preach like this? And we see this even in our day and age. When we tell people what the truth is, they'll go, well, and all these big-name people who aren't really worshiping God, and they go, well, they all accept us. You know, Why, why can't you do it? Or this, these denominations accept us. How come you won't? My answer is, I go, I can't judge the other people, but I'm going to abide by God's word, and I have to abide by God's word. And this is going to be something that we're going to see how he deals with this. Verse 2 says, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear the word of the Lord. I, I kind of found this uninteresting, that prophesy out of their own hearts, the innermost thoughts that they have. Instead of preaching what God says or teaching what God says, they're teaching what their hearts are telling them. And this is something we want to be very careful of. And this is, as Christians, we run into this problem all the time. We've got to say what God says. Not what I would like to say. I would love to be able to say this, all these different things are okay and, and not a problem. But I can't. Saying they prophesy out of their own hearts. One thing we we need to always keep in mind and realize is our heart, our innermost being usually will lie to us all the time, our emotions. We cannot trust emotions because emotions are just a reaction to something going on around us. We can't trust our emotions. People get married because they feel like they're in love. They get divorced because they feel like they're not in love. They they get angry about something and and do something stupid because they're living by their emotions. And we need to be careful. We need to rule our emotions through God. Never try to run your life by feelings <laughs> because our feelings will get us into trouble. They'll make us say and do stupid things because when you get angry, if you act on your feelings, you may end up in prison for, for hurting or killing somebody because you let your feelings run away with you. We always have to keep truth and facts in place because otherwise we will be running the wrong way and here he's saying they're preaching they're prophesying after their own heart their feelings they did not want to leave jerusalem they did not they did not want to see israel destroyed so they're preaching and teaching out of their innermost feelings saying this is what i you know and then they're not just i this is what i think but they were saying thus saith the lord based on their feelings rather than on what he was telling them the greeks believed that the center of our psyche was in the stomach didn't they we still have that that mentality ourselves. We'd, in the phrase, "I have this gut feeling," so we still use that same thought process. We, as, in English, we tend to go more to the heart than to the gut. But we still have the we still have the phrase, "I have a gut feeling," which is that feeling down deep inside of me, where my my soul and psyche and emotions are. Uh, the Jews had that same attitude. They they talk about yearnings from the from the the intestines or the kidneys and so they're they're down a lot lower than in it so but all of that is that that innermost being of who we are the center of our being and this is what they're preaching out of it and it says thus saith the Lord woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing this is pretty strong strong uh, comment woe alas they're in trouble uh, those, those foolish senseless prophets that follow their own spirits and have seen nothing. This is why we have to base all of our decisions on solid truth of God. And this is something that's very much important for us. Uh, It is getting popular in our day just to say what you want and do what you want, both in the world and in many churches. But everything must be based on God's Word and otherwise it has no power. I can believe whatever I want to believe, but if I can't center it in God's word, it doesn't matter what I believe. If I can show why we believe, and this is why I tell everybody, I want everybody to be able to say, why do you believe what you believe? Show me, not because of the logical string that you can make, but according to verses and words and you know, in the scriptures, why do you believe what you believe? Once you can do that, then you can show me how your logic works in there as well, because it's got to make logical sense. God is not illogical. It's amazing to me how many times I talk to somebody and what do they accuse Christians of? Oh, you guys just believe what you're told. You, you have faith. You've walked right off the cliff. And then you can walk with them and say, well, what about, I have grounds for what I believe. What about you? Uh, there's a disc that, I, that was called Evolution vs. God. And the subtitle on it is Prepare to Have Your Faith Destroyed. And it's kind of an interesting title, but it's all about the fact that evolution is completely a faith-based belief system. Okay, there's not a fact in it. There's no evidence in it. is is 100% faith-based philosophy, and it was a very interesting video to watch. And the title would draw almost any because it's designed to go out on college campuses. It's a designed to get just about any college student to grab hold of that and go, "Oh yeah, I got to see this. I got to see how Christianity is destroyed," and then see that evolution is the one that's being destroyed by the disc because they don't think and you know when you talk to people out in the world most of them are believing what they've been told and have no factual basis at all for what they believe it's pretty easy to evangelize if you if you'll actually talk to you anymore because they they have no concrete stance for anything that they believe all they have is like if they believe evolution well Professor so-and-so said this, and Professor so-and-so said this, and Hawking said this, and this guy said this. I will go, well, fine, what is their proof? Well, I don't know. They didn't give us any proof. They just said, look for some proof. I love to challenge non-Christians especially, why do you believe it? Tell me. Give me the proofs. Why do you believe this? When I first moved here to Kingman, my niece and nephew were fairly young, and they would be saying things. and go, why do you believe that? Well, we, taught, we were taught in a school, but why? What is the evidence for what you just said? I did the same thing to them that I would do to any Christian. Why? Why are you believing this? We need to know why we believe so that we can defend because the world does not have a defensible belief system. They just don't. It makes no sense when it's analyzed. But they're not trained to analyze what they're said. They're just trained to parrot back what they've heard. They sit through entertainment and get themselves brainwashed through all the entertainment that's all on the world's point of view. They get brainwashed at school by being bombarded by these things that have no proofs, they're just said. It's amazing if you grab some history books or even science books and you look through them and you find out how much wrong information is in these books and nobody challenges them. It's amazing out there. History is not taught correctly. It's all been revised. Science is not taught as science anymore and they're not taught to think. And this is a scary thing out there. Our world is a totally unthinking place out there. They're not taught to think, and we, and we as Christians are the ones that get accused of not thinking. And it's pretty amazing. But it, it is true, though, this is happening over and over. I mean, our American history is being totally rewritten. Anything that has to do with Christianity is written out. The, the faith of the Founding Fathers has been written out. Ancient documents are being rewritten as far as the history books. It's a very amazing thing that we have that Satan is really pushing for all of these lies to be accepted and trying to get rid of Christianity, trying to get rid of morality, trying to get rid of righteousness because he needs it for the end days anyway to help get there. But we see that so many times people, just as these prophets, follow their own spirits, and have seen nothing. This is very important that we get to know what we believe, why we believe, and and really get to see. See what God has to say. And be able to speak for Him. Verse 4 says, O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the desert. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Your prophets are like foxes in the deserts; They hide and, and just yip and yip and make, make uh, contentions. And then he goes on to say, You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made hedges in the house of Israel to stand in the battle of the day of the Lord. They have not prepared for battle. Okay? You have not gone into the gaps. You have not fixed up the gaps. You've got holes in the walls and your hedges can't keep anything out because you've let them deteriorate. And this is the way that they were going. They were not following God and there were huge problems with everything that they had. Their, their world was falling apart and they didn't even acknowledge or see it. This is the scary thing in our day and age, too. Our world is falling apart and the world does not see that it's falling apart. Now they, they'll, they'll bemoan the, the increase in crime. They'll bemoan different things once in a while, but they don't understand the reasons why things are happening. And it's very interesting to listen to the news. I'm getting to the place where I don't even like listening to news anymore because it's so propagandized on, on what's going on. And they, there's no good reason for anything. It's like, keep teaching these things that we teach in school. We teach, we teach people that they're animals, and then we are surprised they act like an animal. Teach them that there's no right and wrong, and then we try to say that, there's right and, that what they do is wrong. This has always not made sense to me. If evolution is true and we're nothing but an, evolved animals then there is no right or wrong because whoever strongest has the right to put their, their will on it. There's only right or wrong because God says there's right and wrong. And I put it in our hearts so that we know that there's right and wrong. And the world knows that there's right and wrong, even though they're trying to teach that there is no right and wrong. It's kind of a, the circles that they go into to try to make things happen are amazing. We as people instinctively know there's right and wrong because God has put it in our heart that there's right and wrong, and he's the one that states what's right and wrong other than that what the world is trying to teach us there really isn't if you if evolution is true there is no such thing as right and wrong if you're strong enough to impose your will and be the survival of the fittest then whatever you believe is right or wrong is is right or wrong yeah the, the survival of the fittest is a legitimate thing if you're if you're in nature and you're weak you're gonna die for millennia even in humanity if you were too weak to survive you were, you were considered worthless and and you would pretty much be thrown on the side of the road and, until you died. Uh, the soldier who got injured in battle in in the old days was just left to the side. You know, you're injured. You're worthless. You're not. You're not worth being a soldier anymore. And if you can somehow manage to live long enough to get healed, you can can join the world again. But if not, you deserve to die. That has been the mentality of the world and the satanic viewpoint. Life is totally worthless. To Satan and he tries to get that into our humanity and our humanity right now is picking it up hook line and sinker we're aborting our children we're, we've got physician assisted suicide which was going to be totally left without s- physicians next we have the idea that when you get old enough you just deserve to be killed because you're wasting your, your family's money Satan has done a good job of convincing people that life has no value and it only has value because God says that it has value because he created it with value. And as long as you try to throw God out the window, then you can say life is worthless. It has no value. And if you're an evolutionist, it really has no value. It's only as valuable as you're able to, to be useful. But here we, it says you have, your people have not gone and they've not filled the gaps. They've not filled the hedges. Our job as Christians is to do the best job we can to put the Holy Spirit in people's minds and at least put it thoughts in their heads that they're they're not thinking right. Our job is to create a defense and a wall that says, this is not right. We need to take that stance. We need to be able to say, this is what God says. Even when it's not popular, we need to say, this is what God says. Even if it gets to the point where we have to pay with our very lives, For those stances, we will just be as the apostles in the early church was that they paid with their lives for saying this is what God says. We need to prepare our hearts for that day because it's coming, probably in our lifetime. Probably, I'm not going to guarantee, but most likely in our lifetime, and if not our lifetime, in the lifetime of our grandkids or great-grandkids, that there's war against God is going to take a step into the place where we're going to pay physically with our life. In many places in the world, it already is true. If you read the magazine Voice of the Martyrs or many of these other groups that are into this research, more people die for Christ every year than in anywhere near the first century. Millions of Christians are dying every year in this world. We're, we're oblivious to it in America because we still aren't under under attacks so we really aren't really paying attention to it for the most part but if they live in indonesia africa the middle east mo- much of asia the life expectancy of a christian is very short and the press doesn't cover it well we, you'll hear it unless you're in touch with some group christian especially christian groups well because it's not a popular thing to it's not a popular thing to say that the christians are being persecuted for many of these things it's not in satan's is. Advantage to make this a big deal. And this is why a lot of people go, Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? Well, because it wasn't in God, didn't want it to, and it wasn't in Satan's advantage to make things happen. So it follows that scripture in the end, there are many antichrists. Yeah, you know, there's going to be many antichrists. An interesting teaching uh, that said that Satan always has to have an, a person to be the antichrist available to him because he does not know when the end time is coming either. So Hitler probably was an antichrist. Bin Laden was probably an antichrist. And if the, if the right timing had been there for God to take his church away, probably would have been the antichrist. So, And I, I thought it was a very interesting thing because Satan, Satan doesn't know when this time is coming either. When the church is gone and all of a sudden he's released, he's got to have somebody sitting in the wings ready There's to be 80s. moved. Satan is, appears as an angel of light more often than a dark lord master he looks good he is the master at lying and the best lies are ones with just enough tr- truth to make it sound good he is a master liar he's not going to come in and just say the the sun is purple to everybody believe that he's going to come in with some you know some then that sounds very true that's colored and it's and that it's a lie and we've all we all know what those kind of things are we see them all around us where something sounds good and then when you really think about what was said, you go, hold it. This person just said something that is totally wrong. And when you when you look at it, and this is why as Christians, we need to be very discerning. We need to listen to what we're hearing and listen to what's being said around us. This is one of the things that I don't really like harping on, but I don't like watching TV anymore because it is so full of lies and misconceptions and and misleading things that it's not, worth watching anymore but you know I also had the same problem with the the groups that I suppose you know quote unquote conservative groups that they lie almost just as much as the as the left does they just are sound good to the conservatives and they think they're hearing something good you know and this is what I would love to just see I'd love to see some news program that just spoke the truth give you the truth here's the facts I don't think we'll ever see it again but it would be nice because the one thing I hate when I watch news is, this is what I think about it. I go, I really don't care what you think about it. <laughs> Just tell me some facts. I will determine what I think about it. We have to be careful how we listen, how we, how we react, and not let our minds be turned off from when, we're being, when we're watching entertainment. And this is becoming more and more critical, and I'm becoming more and more sensitive to the idea of we must be discerning. We must know what's being, what our minds are being fed in. Because have you ever been in a place where you've said, done, or thought something, and you go, where did, I, where did that come from? And if you really think about it, you, think, you realize you saw it in a movie or a commercial or a, or a TV show or, a, or you heard it in a song. Entertainment enters our brain in a total different way because normally when we're being entertained, we relax and we shut down our critical thinking modes. I'm just being entertained. I don't need to be worrying about this. I'm just watching this comedy so that there's nothing that's going to sneak into my head from the comedy. Our comedies are full of so much sin and and depravity. We cannot allow ourselves to turn off our our discernment and our thinking while while we're being entertained. We just cannot do that as Christians. The world, I wish, wouldn't do it, but as Christians, we especially can't do it. Because the world and all that entertainment world is anti-God and anti Christianity, either directly and and openly or subtly. It is not building God up in many ways. And what really bugs me beyond that is when I watch a Christian movie that takes a worldview and slips it in there without thinking about what it is that they just did. You know, and they say something, I'm going, Hold it, this is supposed to be a Christian movie. I should be able to with you know, be entertained here. And I'm realizing I can't even do that when I'm watching Christian movies and music and, and stuff. I have to keep my discernment up because silly little things get into those shows as well. I've gone back to shows that I used to think were pretty good shows. And now that I've matured and, and grown in Christ, I look at some of those shows and I'm going, how could I have ever thought, and I'm talking about shows from even as far back as the 50s. The father being a buffoon has gone back all the way back to to sitcoms, all the way all the way back as far as TV goes. Got to it, but they bumbled their way through. To, you know, but at least they got to the answer at the end. That's what people think is funny about it. You know, it's it's against it goes against what you what it should be, and people find that funny for whatever reason. And I and I guess I did too when I was younger, but I'm I'm getting to the place where I don't see it as funny anymore when people make fun of something that God says is serious. We start out laughing at something that's kind of benign and then we get to where we are today, where it is just in your face. We see the families in today's world, mother and father are total idiots and non-existent and the kids are running the house other than going out and getting the money to run the house. Any sitcom is that way anymore. We just need to really stay discerning and and watch what we're listening to. Watch what we're, even when we're around other individuals, our guard has to be up all the time because Satan is working strong against this world and I'm not saying that everybody that you know all these movie producers and everything are are directly listening to Satan but he is whispering in the ears and directing the directions of all these things he's in the behind the scenes on all the governments I'm again I'm not saying they're out there worshiping Satan or anything I'm just saying he is the master manipulator moving them and whispering in their ears and leading them down the wrong paths but he is the master behind the all that this is going on you know when we look at it and say boy it sure looks coordinated it is coordinated Satan is the one behind there, moving and manipulating pieces and directing it's a chess game with him he's trying to he's trying to bring all people away from God and he doesn't care if they worship him worship a false god Pretend to work for Christianity. He doesn't care. As long as they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's happy because they're going to end up in hell and away from God. And that's his whole plan. That's why he's behind the scenes on all the rest of the stuff going on. And we as Christians have to keep our eyes and ears open and keep discerning, keep our guard up. And that's where we started out on this. They're not re- rebuilding the walls. They're not keeping the hedges up. We need to keep the walls and hedges on, around our minds so that we're not bombarded by all this sin. And it's very important. It's very important that we keep ourselves that way. What if you've had like a lifetime? Then you get as much as you can into God's word to, to change the way you think. This is why I make it very clear. I'm watching shows that I used to watch all the time without thinking, about, thinking twice about them. But where God has brought me as I've studied his word and gotten closer to him, the more I'm seeing what's behind even the old shows and rejecting, rejecting watching a lot of these. I'm, some of them, many times, I don't want to watch them because I don't, I don't want to keep my guard up that, that, all the time like that. There's a time when the entertainment is of great value, but you better make sure that when you're being entertained, if you're going to shut your brain down a little bit, you better be darn sure that it is good, solid, Homosexuality is a great example. All the stuff we see all the time around us on the TV, in real life, Mm -hmm. all the homosexuality that's around us, that if it had been back in the 40s or 50s or before, oh, we would become unglued at what goes on all the time today. There wasn't as much. Because it is acceptable now, people will act out on the temptations that they have because there's no no severe consequences for acting testing and trying so I would say yes there's more homosexuality now than there probably was but it's because of when they're in their teens and struggling with their their identity and everything there used to be this I'm not going to do it because it's really bad and it's not accepted now people go well I might as well just experiment with it because you know it's no big deal and this is one of those cases where the media has definitely influenced what's going on. But homosexuality has always been a big problem over the, over, this, over the millennia, too. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Greeks had a problem with it. The Romans had a problem with it. Egypt had a problem with it. Uh, Babylon had a problem with it. it nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And homosexuality is a great tool that Satan uses, again, because his purpose is to destroy humanity. And if he can quit, if he can make sure that males and females don't get together to create more babies, he can destroy humanity. Two people of the same sex are not going to create a, create a baby, unless they do artificial insemination in the woman, and, and even then it takes a male somewhere in the process to get the sperm. This is Satan's battlefield for us. He wants people to follow after their heart, after their imagination, after their sinful nature. And then if he could make it so that it's acceptable to them, and this is all these different civilizations that we've talked about that I've named off. They lost their civilization because they turned to all of this sin and God judged them. Homosexuality is actually the last sin that gets, gets moved into these nations when they finally lose their status as an empire. Rome fell because of the, the sinful nature. The Promised Land that, Egypt went, that, that the Israelites went into was judged because of all their sexually explicit sinful nature. It's the last area that gets destroyed and it gets to be to the place just as America's becoming. Homosexuality, bestiality, incest, all the, all the different sexual Birds. deviant uh, <laughs> behaviors start to become accepted and even normal. And this is true and all through history you see this over and over in the empires before they fall, sexual perversion came along and it was the last bastion of of sin that Satan takes it into. It starts out small, little little thing. The sad thing in our world is this sexual perversion and sin is almost everywhere now in almost every country. There's very it always used to be that there was some country that God could go to the next and say, I'm going to lift this one up because they're they're godly. Because we are becoming basically one world at this point, you know, all communication, all the, uh, everything is being pushed to be the same. The world is being changed and polluted to just as it was before the flood. Every imagination of man was evil. It's not too far in our world that every imagination of the people is evil. Now, they won't say it's evil because they're, they're just enjoying themselves. There's no right or wrong in their mind, but you know, it's interesting to sit around people who are not Christian and listen to what they're talking about and listen to what they think is okay and not okay. It's amazing to me how many homosexuals I see working at the prison. There's a ton of them working out there. Verse 6. They have seen vanity, lying divination, saying, The Lord said, and the Lord has not sent them, They have made others hope that they would confirm the word. This is kind of interesting. They have seen vanity and lying divination. This makes me, and it's something I've always wondered about these false prophets. Were they purposely lying or were they listening to the wrong spirits and actually saw something and spoke, thinking that they were listening to God? This verse kind of tells me that they were listening to Satan and the demonic worlds. They were, they were listening to the wrong spirits. This is something we need to be careful of. It is easy to be deceived. It is so easy to be deceived if, if we're not being very careful, we're not being thinking, we're not studying God's Word. And if you get away from God's Word for a period of time, it is very easy to get deceived. Walk away from the church, walk away from Bible studies, get, get out of the Word for a while, and all of a sudden, you'll start realizing you're believing some really strange things when you finally get back to uh, with God. And then you have to work your way at getting rid of all those bad thoughts, all those wrong, wrong way of thinking. Some might have been very much lying just, just because they wanted to, the place. Others might have been just listening to the wrong spirits because they were, number one, they weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping the idols so that they opened themselves up to the spirit world. And this is something that we need to be very careful of. Who am I listening to? How do I know his voice? I know God's voice by listening to by getting into his word and listening to teaching so that I know what his voice sounds like and that when, when it's not his voice, it stands out. This is something I've shared with you. Sometimes I'll have the Christian radio on in the background just as noise and all of a sudden something will be said and I don't know what it was said and all of a sudden these, the back of my hair bristles, there's these alarm bells, pay attention to what you, what you just heard. I start listening and it's like, really sad when it's a teacher I like and I thought I could listen to saying something really dumb. <laughs> But we need to be discerning. We need to know God's voice so that when we don't hear his voice, we know that it's not his voice. And one of the examples I always think of is, I think about mothers when, they're, when their babies are crying in the nursery or something or, in the, or on the playground. A mother always seems to know her child's cry. They all sound like a wailing cry to me, but the mother of that child knows that it's her child that's crying and can usually tell you what's wrong with the child even though it all sounds the same to me they kinda know whether it's something they have to get up for right right that moment or if it's not that big a deal this is the way we need to be with God when we hear his voice we know his voice Jesus said my sheep know my voice and they won't respond to, the fo- to another shepherd and this is a picture of the Middle Eastern shepherds where they'd bring all their sheep together in one big fold and then the shepherds would just call their sheep and their sheep would follow them nobody else's sheep would follow them that just their sheep would love to see that someday but i've heard many people talk about being in israel in the middle east and seeing just that happen where they call out their sheep and they to this day they call their sheep out and their sheep follow them and don't follow another person the other guy can say the same words and and everything and not have the sheep follow them We need to be so close to God that we know his voice. And when it is any other voice coming in toward us, that we ignore it. And this is what he said. They have heard. They have seen vanity or emptiness, and they have heard and and seen lying divinations. And then they said, the Lord said, and God says, I have not sent them. And then this next one, and they have made others to hope that they would confirm the, the word. This goes back to what was going on in Jerusalem. The false prophets were saying, oh, God's going to deliver us. We're not going to be, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's not going to win. He's not going to take Jerusalem. He's not going to take this this, this holy city. And people were grabbing hold of their words, not because they thought they were true necessarily, but because they were what they wanted to hear. Too often we will grab hold of what we want to hear rather than truth. Because truth is hard to take sometimes, isn't it? Oftentimes when I was sitting in, in, in services and had my toe stepped on by the pastor preaching something that was a little close to home, you know, I knew it was true. Not necessarily what I wanted to hear. I didn't enjoy hearing it. Truth is hard to take sometimes. And he's saying these people grabbing onto the, the lies and, and, and hoping, hoping that they're true. Knowing that it's not, but hoping that it is. This is the one thing that we need to be careful of. What are we listening to? Who are we listening to? They're tickling people's ears, trying to tell them what they want to hear. That's part of the sign of the last days. That they would have itchy ears, you know, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me, how, tell me how good things are going to be, not how bad they are, not how bad we are. Not, tell me the things I'd like to hear. We need to be careful what we listen to. We need to be careful who we're who we're trying to listen to. Many pastors have a problem teaching the truth because when you teach the truth, you will your numbers will almost always go down. It happened to Jesus. He said some, he would say a hard saying and people would leave. And a couple of times he asked the disciples, Are you Are you all gonna leave me too? Because truth bothers people. Because it calls to your heart that you're not living right. We need to be sensitive to the fact that I am going to have truth and it's going to be hard to hear the truth. And if I'm not in a place where my toes are being stepped on once in a while, then I probably need a new teacher. Because if my toes are never being stepped on, that means that person's never speaking truth or I'm perfect and I know I'm not perfect. I need to listen to pastors who are going to step on my toes once in a while and say, and it's one of the things I love to the ones, the pastors that I listen to a lot. Oftentimes I get in there and I'm going, oh, I need to. Uh, <laughs> analyze this part of my life. Not that I'm way off in left field on it, but starting to slip in a direction, saying, okay, let's correct. And the closer we are to God, the less harsh those truths are going to be, because we're not way off in the left field. We're, we're making a small course change. If anybody's ever done any sailing or flying, you know that you, you're constantly making small course changes to get back on course. If you've ever tried to uh, do orienteering, you and walk by a compass, you have to pick something a little far away and you totally, you keep making small changes to stay in line because if you don't make those small changes, after you've gone far enough, you may be miles off where you're supposed to be. We need that same thing in our own life. We need those small corrections in our life because if we don't, we're going to need a big correction. And when we get to a big correction, we're not going to want to hear it because it's going to be really in our face at that point. If we're not responding to the little ones when it's time for God to make a big direction change in our life, we're not going to want to listen to it at all because we've gotten stuck in a rut, in a wrong direction. And well, we've got to like it. And we've got Yeah, like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing bad has happened to me all this time, so I'm okay. And this is a place we need to be careful of because it always leads to the wrong direction. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Wide is the gate that leads to discipline as well. You don't, you don't desire to get it. You're enjoying what you're doing. You're not thinking it's bad. Anybody who's ever walked away from God for any reason, any point of time, realizes how easy it is to get out there and how hard it is to make that decision to come back. Now, it's easy to come back because God is gracious and merciful. But to make the decision to come back is not the easiest decision. Because you're comfortable. It's like, okay, I've gotten used to this. It is easy to get into because all it takes is repentance and God restores us. Us making the decision is hard. We don't want to make the decision. That's why I said the decision to do it is hard, but the actual coming back is easy. And when I walked away from God, you know, because of workaholism and everything, the only thing that really brought me back is one day my second oldest son said, can we go to church uh, tomorrow? And I'm going, well, I have absolutely no reason to go to church. And we went back to church, and we've been back to church ever since. But I did just that. I'd gotten comfortable in the lifestyle that I had done. Uh, I wasn't way off in sin and all this, you know, terrible stuff. I just wasn't going to church, wasn't reading my Bible. It wasn't that I was against God. I just wasn't doing the things I knew I needed to be doing. And I'd gotten comfortable in a lifestyle that wasn't where I was supposed to be. Now that could be different different things for different people, but you get comfortable away from God, and it's real easy to get there, really easy to get there and, and walk away from Him. That decision to come back is the hard decision. Once we make that decision, it's easy from there because God just restores us, because He loves us that much and says, Oh, come on back. Let's bring you back to where you were." This is a testimony of, over and over I hear from people: "Well, I'm back, and I'm and God is blessed, and it's it's almost like I haven't been gone other than that." however many years that I was gone, whatever that period is. God says they saw vanities and they caused others to hope. And it says, have you not seen a vain vision, and have you not spoken a lying divination? Whereas say, you say, the Lord says it, howbeit I have not spoken. Therefore thus saith the Lord, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore behold, I am against you, saith the Lord. I'm going to stop at 8, but God says He will be against us. If we go the wrong direction, if we make bad decisions, the Lord will be against us. A terrible place when you find yourself going against what God is trying to do. When He comes in opposition to you, you will bend or you will have a very miserable life while you, while He's coming against you. And this coming against us can be something very simple. You know, just a real light, you know, I want a course change on you, or if you've gone far enough, it can be pretty hard. Well, this is, uh, I think this is increasingly important for teachers. Yes, teaching, (laughs) prophesying, but even in our day-to-day walk in our own lives, we all really, as Christians, are teaching somebody. We should be. Well, even if we don't think we are, people are watching us. If you have neighbors who you've ever mentioned I'm going to church or we're bold enough to talk then all of a sudden you are being looked at. There's always somebody looking at us. What kind of Christian are you to them? And if you have nieces or nephews or children they're looking at you too and they're going, is God real? We lose most of our teenagers from Christianity more because their parents aren't showing them a real God 24/7 than all the other stuff that they're learning. Now the world is going against them too; it's not a help at all. But when when the world's telling them all these lies, and then they look at their parents who are supposed to be Christians, and they're not really living Christ; they're not in God's Word; they're not they're not praying. Uh, prayer is they've never caught their parents praying. They don't ever seen them reading the Word. They grab their Bible after they've lived the way they want all week long and drag them to church. Kids who see that lifestyle, what it tells them is God is not real. They need to see a real God because that's the only way that their life will be changed from the world's bombardment of all the lies. They have to see a real Christianity in people's lives. Our world around us needs to see a real Christian example. Not perfection because we can't be perfect. But you know, how many times have you been done something wrong? Have you ever gone back to apologize to those who have been watching you and say, you know, I really messed up. I should not have acted that way. I've done it many times. Maybe not as often as I should, but I've done it many times. We should never get to the place where we're so proud that we can't admit that we were wrong and done the wrong thing as a Christian in front of those people. But just admitting, I had to do this recently at work. Uh, you know, normally, normally, I do not get upset at anything, and one day, it was just been a long day, Lo- everything had gone wrong, somebody had said something, and I just, you know, I didn't get really angry, but I, I said something very sharp and hard that shouldn't have been said. Was it wrong? Not necessarily, but the way I said it was wrong. So I had to come back to them later on and go, you know, I'm really sorry, I should not have spoken to you like that, it was uncalled for. We need to be able to humble ourselves when we are a bad example in front of people. Because you know what, That's, that humbling of ourselves will probably even have more impact on them than anything else that we could have ever said or done. because they're going to say, "Oh, this person is just like me in many ways, but yet they have a higher standard." Yep. One of my dad's testimonies was uh, he had a guy at work that he was a Christian, and the guy in doing some really something really crazy. And he felt so bad afterwards that he repented and he, and he even apologized to my dad and that made an impression on my dad that because he had never seen a Christian do anything like that. Again, even in our failures, if we handle them with humility and righteousness, we can be a great example to people and probably more of an example than always being good because they're going to see, oh, Christians don't have to be perfect, One of the things when you witness to people, they go, well, I just can't be perfect. I can't give up this. I can't give up. Oh, who's asking you to just turn to God? But unless they see a Christian fall, repent, and return back to God, they think that Christians have to be perfect. God knows they're not, and we know we're not, but how often do we try to make it look like we are? Because we take our pride and we're not going to go, I can't humble myself. I can't be like them. I've got to be the, to be the good Christian example. And I'm not going to say, go out and sin and be, do bad things just so you can have a, a witness. But when you do utilize that as a chance to be a great witness, then show God's mercy and His grace and that he's, God is going to forgive. Because the hardest thing to talk to when you talk to somebody, and I've heard this many times, well, I just can't give up my whatever it is, and they'll name whatever sin it is, and I'm going, who's asking you to? I'm not asking you to. I'm saying, come to God. Well, Christians have to give those things up. I go, you probably will, but when you, when you do, it'll be because God and you want it to happen, not because you have to make it happen. And this is what's important. They need to understand this type of thinking. Our job is not to make people good. That's not our job. My job isn't even to make myself good. My job is to let God do the work in me. My job is to let God do the work in others. Because I can't change myself. I can't make myself good because my righteousness is not going to be good. It's going to be filthy rags. It has to be God who makes the changes. And this is one of the things I keep telling people when I hear people going, I'm working at being a good Christian, I'm striving to be a good Christian, I'm, you know, whatever verbiage I use and I go, well, quit working, quit striving, let God change you. Does that mean I just purposely go out and sin? No. But I also not sitting there with a whip in a chair trying to tame my flesh. The flesh can't be tamed. Because the minute you turn your back on the flesh, it's going to come roaring back back with a vengeance when you try to make it stop. It must be crucified, and only God can be the one that crucifies it. And so we want to look at this. What are my decisions? How am I thinking with God? How am I growing with God? And it takes time and effort for that to happen, but it's God who's going to do the do the effort, and it's God that's going to take that time. All He wants us is to release to Him and let Him do it. Technically, it would be... Pre- be possible to be perfect. None of us will probably ever be there because we none of us are going to be totally surrendered to God for Him to totally crucify our flesh and make us perfect. Because we just don't do that. There's always our flesh kicking up and saying no, I want to be, I want to be part of this. I want to try to make something happen. Alright, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for Your love and Your care. And Lord, that that you want us to be your children. Lord, you want us to look at you and what you would have us to do. Lord, help us to keep our eyes and ears open spiritually as to all the attacks that are going on around us. Help us to stay strong in those in that life. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.